104.7 FM, 94.1 FM in the FM Metro, the KFGO mobile app, KFGO.com, and on the Triple Towers of Power, the Mighty 790 News Radio, KFGO. The vet is in on KFGO. Dr. Dreen winning from Valley Vet on Main Avenue here in Fargo joins us again in the studio. She's been doing this for a long time now. We were going to try to count how many years you've been here. It's been many. It's been many. Many years. Started with Bob. Started right? with Bob. Started with Bob Harris. Mm-hmm. And he will never let us forget that either. No, Every he, time yeah. you yes. were in, he's like, don't forget. I I'm found- the one who found Dr. <laughs> Winning. Yeah. Yeah, and we do miss Bob, but um, do. he did. I started with Bob and then transferred over to daytime. Yep, and have been doing this ever since. So yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, I bet over a decade for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't fun. seem that long. It doesn't. I mean, I enjoy coming in. You know, actually meeting people out there, your listeners. Yeah, here at KFGO, and being able to meet them. Some of them recognize my voice. Yeah, and some of them recognize my name, so it's <laughs> it's really fun. I enjoy meeting everybody. Well, we love having you, and we're ready to take your questions for Doctor Winning at three five two seven zero, or you can call us at two three seven five nine four eight. But JJ and I have a topic that we wanted to bring up right off the bat, and that is cat scratches and cat bites. One of our coworkers is dealing with this at home right now, and you know I love to tell. I'm like, yeah, my cat is not nice all the time, and both my kids have been on antibiotics for cat bites. Um, and cat bites and cat scratches can be legitimately very scary to people and their health. It it can be very scary for them because some people really react to the bite and some don't. And I remember my first encounter with this was in vet school. I had a classmate that got bit by a cat and he was actually, you'd look at it and it'd be like, well, big deal, you know, seriously. And... He, w- he ended up in the hospital with sepsis. So it's really tough to predict. And I think the moral of the story is if you get bit by a cat or any animal in general, make sure that you seek out your human medical physician and, and um, make sure that the appropriate, appropriate treatment is rendered because they can be quite serious and some people are hospitalized for an innocent bite wound that looks like nothing. Is there a lot of bacteria like in a cat's mouth? I mean, is that one of the things we're reacting to? Correct. Yeah. There's just a lot of bacteria in those cat mouths. And, you know, there may be other components with saliva and such that I'm not aware of, but typically sepsis is, you know, the bacterial component is, is the concern. Infection. Ooh. And then, okay, so here's another question. So when I get scratched by a cat... It looks different than like if I get scratched by anything else in in nature, right? A tree, uh, anything like that. Why does it become so raised? Well, first of all, cat scratches, you know, having been scratched myself a fair number of times. (laughs) I can imagine. They, would you not agree? They hurt. They're the worst. Yeah. And so those claws, they're so narrow and they dig in and they rip flesh, especially as they're coming out because they dig in and just completely with that curve just rips the flesh. And so (laughs) hopefully nobody's eating lunch, Um, (laughs) but that's how the, they inflict their trauma. So they're very effective methods of defense for cats or aggression as the case may be. And so, yes, they hurt bad. Yeah, I can't yeah, stand them. My son just got 
the cat launched. He was holding the cat. And the cat wasn't trying to do anything mean. He wasn't trying. But the cat launched off his body the other day. And, oh, those uh, those cat scratches are just nasty. Like you said, they're just like they're deep. And if they scrape, they go a long ways. And for whatever reason, it is like paper cuts on steroids. Well, and I think, too, some of the worst ones I've had have been the punctures that where the cat is just, it sets its claws into your skin and they just sit there. And then somebody's got to try to pry that claw off you and it's ripping the skin as it comes. Mm-hmm. It's like a fish hook almost, you know, it's just not so fun. What are those things that because I'm sure even before they call their general practice doctors, sometimes they're calling your clinic first and wondering about these things. Are there things that people should be looking for after a cat scratch or a bite that might be concerning? Generally speaking, I just recommend that people go seek their medical care provider and have them look at it because, again, you don't know what's going to happen. And so that's just really important. And, you know, I know how I respond to them, but I don't know how you're going to respond. And so it's mm-hmm. just best to seek out medical care no matter what. What about, uh, let's say you're, you know, you're over at uh, somebody's house and they've got barn cats or something like that. And the barn cat bites you. How important is it to maybe put that cat like in a box or something like that and take it with you if you start to show signs. Yeah. So now we're talking about public health concerns because we've got a potentially unvaccinated animal and we always worry about rabies. And so that animal needs to follow a certain protocol for rabies quarantine or be euthanized if it hasn't been vaccinated, be euthanized for um, rabies assessment. And that's checking the brain to see if there's any evidence of rabies virus in the brain tissue. So you have to be careful, and and that's why I always cringe a little bit with um, unvaccinated animals or cats, especially around farmyards. They serve a purpose, but just vaccinate them, especially for rabies, and especially if you have children around, because that is a public health zoonotic health concern. Okay, we have so many questions in at 35270. Let's try to get to some of these. Um, Dr. Dreen, I have a great Dane who is five years old. He has recently started shaking like crazy when I leave him in the morning and after letting him out at noon. Is this what separation anxiety looks like? Can it happen after five years? And what can I do to help him? Nothing new has happened. We both have always worked out of the home. My hubby was at home for a year of the pandemic. But like I said, this shaking just started recently. You know, we think about Great Danes, and the ones that I've known have typically been a little bit more anxiety-prone, and granted, that can be a genetic thing as far as different breed lines, but you have to realize that anxiety can be triggered at any point in life, and so if there's a concern, which we have to try to assess and figure out, is this something that needs to be treated or isn't it? Can you combat this by making your departures pleasant? You know, toys, mm-hmm. treats that the, the pet gets that they don't get when you're home. And so making it a positive thing to not have you in the home. And I've said on the air before, too, uh, my, one of my dogs, Dahlia, used to have terrible anxiety when I left. In fact, her kennel would be halfway across the room floor when I came home because she was 
barking and, you know, clawing and so on in the kennel. And so what I did is she's very, I figured out what motivates her, food. And she got special treats only when I leave. Now she loves her kennel. I mean, just can't wait for me to leave the house. So just working with that and every dog is going to probably have something that motivates them a little bit differently than another dog. But, you know, if you can figure that out and work with it and turn it into your advantage, you can combat separation anxiety through that as well instead of just medications. Yeah. Um, Okay. So hopefully that helps (laughs) because that does sound like separation Mm -hmm. anxiety too. Yeah. Both of my great Pyrenees, Sugar and Frankie, get snow caked between their toe pads on hikes. This snow turns to ice and suddenly it's time to go home. We've tried booties, but not only do they lose traction in the snow, but we've also lost a booty or two in the snow. Is there a home remedy to prevent snow buildup? There are products out there made for that specific problem. Um, mushers, oh, it, we can Google it, but there's there's remedies made for sled dogs that you can buy online for that. And it helps prevent that accumulation of snow between the toes of the feet. It's a common problem. Um. So, okay. So there are things to help. We'll, we can try to look up some other names too yeah. and text mm-hmm. them back on the break. Right. It looks like Musher's Secret. Yeah. Is that, that's yeah, one like of them. Pod, uh, uh, paw protection. Yes. So is it something that you rub on the paws before you go out or what yes. do you do? Yeah. Oh, you, okay. Typically you'll put it in between the paw pads and on oh. the paws. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. There you go. Had no idea. First chick, first winter owning chickens. Brewster, Kyle, <laughs> is super lethargic, curled up in a corner, hardly responding. All other 18 chickens are doing great. Heat lamp in coop, fresh food and water always. What could be wrong with Kyle really, or Brewster? He's not egg bound. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I'd probably suggest having him looked at because sometimes these things can be uh, air problems in the coop. In chicken coops in the winter, with it all closed up, we can have humidity problems and we can have ammonia problems, especially if the coop isn't cleaned out properly. So I worry a little bit about respiratory issues. And there are certain GI issues as well. Doing a stool sample check, that can be um, causes for concern as well. So honestly, that I hate to say it because I know people don't like bringing their chickens into the vet, but yeah, it probably does need to happen. Someone said, how old should my female kitten be to get her spayed? This was the one where they haven't agreed on a name yet. Mom calls her kitten. Teenage son calls her Phil. Youngest son calls her Mrs. Twinkles. And dad hates her. So we figure, <laughs> JJ figures dad is going to be the one to ultimately name her and like her the most. <laughs> so how old should that female kitten be before they get her spayed? You know, I don't have a problem with spaying cats at about six months. I think that's a perfect age and you're going to catch her, especially as spring comes on, you want to catch her before she goes into heat. So six months would be good. Okay, there you go. Um, A question for the vet. We have a nine-year-old lab that is getting very stiff and having a hard time getting around, especially more with his hind legs. What can we do to help him out? I think that he should be checked by your veterinarian because um, if the blood work looks good and there aren't any contraindications, um, you can do things like uh, carprofen or rimadil, some sort of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. I think that's important to have to at least use as needed. But as far as supplements go, 
I would use a good high quality pet cod liver oil, something like Nordic Naturals, glucosamine chondroitin or something like cosequin or dosequin. I'd use collagen, flexidin advanced is a nice one. Um, those are probably my three staples as far as supplements go. And then as far as alternative methods, acupuncture works really nice for these geriatric dogs that really have a hard time getting around. The vet is in here on KFTO taking all of your pet questions. Someone said, thank you for helping me with Kyle. That was the rooster. Mm. I came up with the same resolution, they said. So you just confirmed what they were thinking. The person who had the dog that was the Great Dane that had a little bit of anxiety said, mine just wants me, sad face. He doesn't even want treats. I've started trying CBD oil. Not sure how much to give a 105-pound dog. Yeah, and CBD oil, that's, that's a that's tough thing for a, you to talk about. It is tough. And, um, you know, the thing to remember with some of these in general, these, I'm going to call them remedies because we don't have a lot of research behind them at this point in time. We don't know an exact dose, folks. So whatever is saying on the label is probably a guesstimate. And the other thing is it's unregulated. So you don't know if what is printed on the label is actually that exact concentration in the bottle. So you have to be very careful. And, you know, just be aware of what you're doing. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't care what the remedy is. But there are times when we, you know, if if our behavioral modification techniques at home aren't working, then we need to go to prescription drugs because that's what it takes to make that animal happy. So just keep that in mind, too. And I mean, maybe this is a tough thing for you to talk about, but at some point you just kind of wish that it would just become a thing where you could regulate yes. the dose and you could get some studies on it so that you could actually talk to your patients about it. Yes. And and there are those studies happening right now. Oh, and so okay. I'm hopeful yeah. that we can start talking about that sooner rather than later, but it's just not quite there yet. We'll get back to your questions. I see some more coming in at 35270 or you can give us a call at 237-5948. The vet is in until two o'clock on KFGO. The vet is in on KFGO, Dr. Dreen winning. This is an interesting question that came in and said they just relocated and now they're looking for a new vet. What advice would you give to someone when searching? I think that you have to almost meet the person because I have people over my 25 years of practice that, you know, you think that you have communication, there's a potential for good communication there, and it just doesn't work. There's always that, and it's not a personal thing necessarily. It's just what are you looking for in that vet, and can they provide that communication that you want? And everybody's different. It's like no different than going to a hairstylist, for example, and and finding somebody that works for you. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. And number two, things that I look for, me personally in a hospital, say I was looking for a job, I would want a hospital that is upheld to certain standards. And so that would, to me, mean American Animal Hospital Association accredited. And that just means they're inspected 
and they have to follow certain guidelines, certain certain standards of care that other clinics don't potentially have to follow. Now, that doesn't mean other clinics don't, but these for sure do. Let me ask a vet clinic 101. Mm-hmm. So do you keep times in your day that are not scheduled for an appointment in case somebody calls that morning and needs to yes. get in right away? Yes, absolutely we do. Mm-hmm. And th- that is the standard or maybe, you know, a Valley Vet, you're uh, Valley Vet, you're the exception on that because there are times when I feel like I have got to get into my vet right away and they're like the soonest we can get you in is two and a half weeks. I can't answer that for every vet clinic, but certainly for us, we have slots in our schedule that are geared for same-day urgent care. And that's been a struggle and it's been an evolving issue because typically, you know, I think back 25 years ago when I first started, your schedule filled up, it filled up, and then, you know, that was it. And you would squeeze appointments in, you know, any urgence in between your 20 minute, 15, 20 minute appointments. And we all know that a wellness can come in that, oh, your dog just needs shots, but oh, whoops, we found this lump or there's a tooth problem or there's some other circumstance that needs to be discussed. And so a wellness oftentimes isn't just a wellness exam. It's a education session for the owner and the veterinarian and trying to figure out what's going on with a pet. So Trying to squeeze appointments in, in between other appointments, really isn't fair to the client that needs an urgent care appointment. So we've started just booking slots out. And usually they get filled. Now, the hard part with that is you need to call right first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. in order to get that slot. And boy, they can fill up fast. But, you know, so it's a first come, first serve. And that can be hard for people to hear, you know, yeah, we don't have any appointments today, but if you call first thing in the morning, we have the potential for you to get in tomorrow. That's not easy to hear. But the good thing about the Fargo-Moorhead area is we do have an emergency hospital that is there for just those purposes. Yes, we all want to see our regular vet. I want to see my regular clients because I know them best and I know their pet best. However, there are certain times that can't happen. Okay, let me uh, just real quick. I know we got more questions in the text club. Should I keep a copy of my pet's records? Like annually, should I ask for a, a copy of everything that's in there just in case? Uh, I know we've talked about that for traveling, but in case I go to an emergency vet. That's always a nice thing to have because there are certain things that, certain disease processes, for example, that could be present in your pet that have been treated over many years. And so somebody that's picking up problems with that on an emergency emergency basis, that's nice for them to have. So yes, that's a good thing to have. Now, I will say that transportability of records nowadays is actually quite easily done. So there are cases where you call in the morning, you can't get in, you're going over to the e-clinic, we can just electronically send those records. They don't have to be transported there's different rules for veterinary medicine than there are for human medical records. So we can send them via email. Interesting. Okay, let's go back to the text club here. Let's see. There's a dachshund question. I get my dachshund sniffles about one cup of cheese per week. I've heard it could be bad for her lungs and breathing. Am I doing her a disservice? Cheese? Cheese. That's what it says. Well, 
I don't know how cheese is bad for your lungs and breathing. I'm kind of confused about that. But I just I have to laugh because my dachshunds don't really get any specific treats. You know, I mean, they get one piece of dog kibble when they go in their kennels now. Yeah. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm kind of a meanie. Here's somebody giving their dachshunds a cup of cheese. Yeah, and mine are getting dog food kibble. But I know my my dogs only get like whatever drops on the floor from the kids. Yeah, you know, but I don't give my dog any kind of. So when someone says that, I'm like, I don't even know if my dog likes cheese. <laughs> I mean, I maybe. Now we do use squeeze cheese at the clinic oh, for sure. bribing certain patients into standing still. I wish but, my doctor did that. <laughs> I know. Let me tell you, there's certain times of the day where those cheese pretzels that we use look, look like they should be going look into good. my mouth. But, um, so, you know, I would advocate for probably a different snack for your dog or a different treat for your dog. There, you can, you can use a wide variety of things. Carrots, for example, a lot of dogs like to have a little piece of mini carrot that's been chopped up. So cheese, I guess I wouldn't fall back on. I mean, if if is if it it's really a, bad for their lungs and breathing? I haven't. No, I haven't heard that. Now, oh, okay. obesity is going to be bad for your lungs and breathing because we have some dogs that have collapsing tracheas, and you get all that extra fat, and they just can't compensate for a collapsing trachea anymore. So there are certain circumstances, but that's not the primary problem. The cheese isn't. It's the obesity. Hmm. Interesting. One cup of cheese per week. Huh. Oh, well. Yeah. I I don't so it must just be like a little bit every day or something. And you know But that can add up pretty quick. It sure can. Yeah. <laughs> and what makes us feel good, part of us loving our pet really seems to be, as I've noticed over the years, has been enjoying giving our pets treats. Yeah. And that's part of loving them to a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And so we have to learn different ways to love them. And I'm not saying, you know, maybe your pet is svelte and you're giving it a cup of cheese a week and that's okay. But for the most part, for most of us, no, that wouldn't work. This is The Vet Is In on KFGO taking all of your pet questions for a few more moments here until 2 o'clock. The vet is in here on KFGO. We were talking about dog food on the break off the air. And is there, should you default to a wet or a dry food? Does it really matter? Does it depend on the dog? Do we usually go to wet food when they get a little bit older? How do we make that switch? I am just curious. Well, wet food isn't as convenient for us owners, is it? No, you know, you've really got to manage a scheduled feeding because Mm -hmm. you don't want to leave it out. I would say wet food is an option if you're taking care of the teeth and you're doing scheduled feedings. So we know with dry, crunchy food, you're getting that action of cleaning the teeth as they're chewing. Now, there are some dogs as they get older. My Doobie, for example, he doesn't chew his food. His muscles of his jaw just aren't strong enough to chew it. So I'm using smaller kibble, but I'm using dry food. I could potentially use canned for him because I'm seeing the the way you know if your dog's chewing properly is because if you start seeing bits of food in the water bowl, they're not chewing their food properly. And so oh, interesting. you'll start noticing that as they get older. So that is a signal to me, well, 
do I need to move to a smaller kibble size because, you know, I'm taking care of the teeth with other means? Or do I want to move to canned food? Mm, interesting. Um, water intake for dogs. Is there any like threshold where we should be concerned? What's too much? What's too little? Um, should you be filling up the water dish and just, I mean, we just leave it out all day, of course, but then you don't really know when they drink or how much they, you know, I could be filling it up three times a day and my husband could be filling up twice and we had, we would have no idea. We just yeah. fill it up when we see that it's empty. I don't think you need to measure your dog's water consumption in cups, for example, unless you have a concern where your dog is constantly at the bowl drinking all the time. Sure. So it's important to keep a dog bowl of water out all the time. I know I have some clients that'll come in and say, well, I take the water away at bedtime because I don't want any accidents. I think you need to deal with the accidents some other way other than taking water away because I, I am not a believer in water deprivation for any circumstance. Uh, Carol is on the line for you, Dr. Winning. Carol, go ahead. Hi, I have a cat that's about 14 years old, has just been diagnosed with liver uh, liver disease. And I started her on special medicine or special food, canned food, and she doesn't like any of it. Is there anything I can do to supplement that food to make it taste a little better for her? As far as supplementing with other foods, it can be a challenge, especially if you have modified protein contents because cats are carnivores. And so, you know, some of these liver foods will have lower protein levels. And if you're adding some flavor enhancer, it can add protein. So not knowing what your cat is on, it's a little bit challenging. Sometimes you can add just some broth to the food, just some low sodium broth to help encourage them. But cats can be a challenge in general. And this is why a lot of times I'll recommend to cat owners as the kitten is growing up to start introducing them to a wide variety of cat foods, not because I want to create diarrhea or anything, but it's more for palatability and getting them used to different tastes and textures as they're young so that when they do get older, there's more options available. They'll accept more types of food more readily. So I would talk to your veterinarian specifically about that because I don't know what food you're on. And typically, again, liver diets will have a lower protein. I'm on the canine, whatever they call it. Uh, Canon. Mm-hmm. Royal Canon is a brand of food, and they, yeah. they, they, there's different varieties of prescription diets that that will work for liver disease. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Dr. Winning, and thanks for another edition of The Vet is in here on KFGO. If they want to get a hold of you at Valley Vet, how do they do that? We're at 3210 Main Avenue in Fargo. Our phone number is 232-3391. And we're online at valleyveterinary.net. Thank you so much. We'll see you next month. See you next month.